Is there a place for chemo prevention in cancer of the prostate? You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard. And joining me today is Dr. Stuart Justman, noted author, professor of liberal studies at the University of Montana, a lay member of the American Society of Clinical Oncology dealing with 5-alpha reductase committee, and a survivor of carcinoma of the prostate. Thank you very much, doctor, for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Today we're going to be discussing his recent book, Do No Harm, How a Magic Bullet for Prostate Cancer Became a Medical Quandary. Doctor, can you tell me to begin with, what made you write this particular book? Well, I wrote a book a few years ago, somewhat about my experience of being a cancer patient, not, I think, the usual book of that sort. It was well-received, and as a result of that, I was asked to join the American Society of Clinical Oncology's 5-alpha reductase committee that you just cited. And in that capacity, I was immersed into the finasteride literature and really amazed that it had sort of passed the press by. It was barely noticed in 2003 when the results of a really quite impressive 10-year-long clinical trial hit the press. I mean, it was barely noted. If you blink your eyes, you missed it. And I did blink in 2003. So I was really stunned to learn about the prostate cancer prevention trial. And as a continuing patient myself, I was all the more interested in it. And then the double-edged nature of the findings of that experiment, which I'm sure your uh, listeners are familiar with, made it all the more intriguing. So uh, here I am with a training as a literary historian writing about a drug, but I did. And, you know, guiding my research into the book, I'll just go ahead and say it, is that medicine is too important to be left to the doctors. And I give you permission to come back and say, and education is too important to be left to the teachers. I completely agree with that. Yes, when I think about how I made my decision to become a physician, how I was motivated by the literary kinds of books of human bondage, Aerosmith, right, right. Uh, Keys of the Kingdom, they were all books that, I'm trying to think right now, but I think Somerset Maughan might have been a physician, but uh, certainly Sinclair Lewis wasn't, A.J. Cronin wasn't, and how important the messages that the literary community can bring to our general community and to physicians ourselves. So I, I certainly agree how many people, physicians and non-physicians who've written about medicine who really carry a message. You know, you mentioned the double meaning of this research. Many people may, like you, have skipped it in 2003. Could you tell me what was the double message in this particular research project? Well, in short, that the prostate cancer prevention trial established about a 25% reduction in the incidence of prostate cancer in the treatment group. Which was great. <laughs> it's astonishing. Yes. The men selected for the PCPT were low-risk men. Possibly if they had been at higher risk, the findings uh, would have been even more impressive. However, uh, in the original article that was published uh, in 2003 in the New England Journal of Medicine, there was a disturbing downside, and that was an apparent increase in the incidence or the rate of high-grade cancer, that is, the more aggressive malignancies, in the treatment group. And that consideration, surely more than any other, has deterred practicing physicians from using this drug to prevent prostate cancer, even though it's been proven to do so, even though the disease cries out for prevention for obvious reasons. When you wrote this book, who was the be-designated audience? 
Well, of course, I was hoping that concerned physicians of the kind who are listening to this program would be in that group. However, I really do think that medical issues, especially in this day and age, especially issues of prevention, which is the next frontier or the frontier we're already starting to you know, encroach on, an, an issue of prevention has got to speak to a larger audience than simply physicians. And especially given the importance of medicine in our fictional literature and even in our philosophy, given that surely an issue as profound as the one raised by the PCPT speaks to more than a specialist medical community. Uh, On that point about philosophy, I think I'd be hard-pressed to identify a philosopher more influential than John Locke. John Locke was a physician. He wrote his philosophy as a physician, or you could say he wrote as a physician in the same way he did as a philosopher. There's a profound intermingling there. So, you know, when kids read John Locke in school, I did, uh, I was reading a physician. John Locke invented the alphabetical blocks. I don't know if you knew that this. In your book, you certainly quote him, and you talk about the greater good for the larger community. But the alphabetical blocks that you and I played with as kids was also an invention of John Locke. Well, and actually, I've written about that sort of thing before. He was sort of, and I I don't mean this in a demeaning way, but he was sort of like a Dr. Spock of his age. He was very concerned with education. He had certain liberal theories of child upbringing, child rearing. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and I'm speaking with the author, Dr. Stuart Justman, and we're discussing his newest book, Do No Harm, How a Magic Bullet for Prostate Cancer Became a Medical Quandary. So there was a quandary about using this drug. Is the risk too great, then, to use this drug? Now, later on, we'll probably talk about some very interesting changes in our thinking about it. But at the time that you began to write this book, what were your thoughts about is even any risk too great a risk when you're using a drug for prevention? That's the key thing. I mean, the distinction between prevention and treatment. And what concerned me writing the book is that that distinction might become blurred. I mean, clearly, there's a kind of risk benefit juggling that you do and you have to do when treating. But my research showed me that in preventive medicine, it's an established principle that medications that are being used in large populations have to meet very high standards of safety. And, you know, I'll leave it to your audience to define that. I mean, clearly it isn't risk at absolute zero. I mean, we're talking about the real world. However, we are talking about a categorically higher safety threshold that must be met. And I am concerned even now, uh, on the basis of some medical literature that appeared only last month, that that distinction between safety standards may become eroded. I mean, that's what I meant by saying that issues of prevention are foremost in the minds of many of us now, and they're going to become even more salient, clearly, as the years go on. So we better start thinking about it. And I do believe that safety standards must be categorically higher for a drug that's going to general use, in this case, certainly into use by potentially millions of men over, say, the age of 55, perhaps younger than that. But there are enough millions in that over 55 category. So, you know, the question is, uh, if a man is simply getting screened, is, is simply concerned about prostate cancer, as any man would be, and is getting screened, 
And may I add that there are men who, for very good reasons, do not get screened. So the question is, is any man who gets screened then a candidate for finasteride? Some in the medical literature are beginning to say yes to that question. I think that's going too far. I think that is, given the state of knowledge about the drug now, and granted that the question is in some flux, even as we speak, but given the state of things now, to me, that does blur the question where the safety standard should be. You know, I can't help but recollect about the use of tamoxifen. You mentioned this in your book. Certainly, tamoxifen is another example of preventive chemo prevention. And yet, it's probably a little easier to understand. But could you tell me the similarities and differences about why tamoxifen isn't being used and we're really considering using finasteride? Well, tamoxifen is used for breast cancer patients who've already had breast cancer and who are therefore considered to be at risk. And their being at risk can justify the use of a drug which entails its own risks. That, I think, is an established principle of thinking in preventive medicine. Makes sense to me. And there was a, a history of use of tamoxifen as a treatment when it was tested in the breast cancer prevention trial, the BCPT, which I think was the template. It began before the PCPT, and it's the template upon which the PCPT was modeled. I think the fundamental issue that we need urgently to think and talk about is how we got into this mess. The mess I'm referring to is a flood of diagnoses of prostate cancer. Some years ago, 2 million American men had already been visited with this disease, and it's just the numbers are just going to keep ballooning from there. Clearly, I think this is an unintended consequence of the PSA revolution. When PSA was introduced, no one foresaw, for heaven's sakes, the results, which is a tidal wave of detected cases of cancer and, of course, much treatment, and as everyone recognizes, to the embarrassment of everyone, much overtreatment. So faced with this, again, tidal wave of diagnoses, which is going to get nothing but worse, how do we get out of this? And that's where finasteride comes in, right? And finasteride, unlike tamoxifen, finasteride was already in use as a treatment of BPH, right, benign enlargement of the prostate, and did that job so well that people got the idea that maybe this should be investigated for cancer prevention. But there's something in that sequence of steps that concerns me. You know, we kind of stumbled into the diagnosis revolution whose consequences are overwhelming us right now. You know, I'm asking myself, well, with finasteride, are we kind of trying to stumble out of those consequences? But the reason the prostate cancer has become such an urgent issue, and again, I, I speak not just as a, as a researcher but a patient, is surely because of the diagnosis revolution, the detection revolution. And as you know, detection problems or detection issues have bedeviled the interpretation of the PCPT. I mean, that's really the main crux of interpretation, would you say, doctor, the literature on the PCPT concerning detection? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the most puzzling things is here we have, we're asking healthy men to take a drug to prevent a disease that they may never get. And if they do get it, they may be better off not being treated for it. Yeah. How do you deal with that? that I know. That, uh, that real tension. I know. I, I, I know doctors who disbelieve in screening, fundamentally disbelieve in it. Uh, or screening for prostate cancer in any case. 
when I wrote the book, I was struck by that very question that you ask and by the possibility of taking a drug that would seem to suppress the less dangerous cancers preferentially and perhaps to add to the number of the more dangerous cancers. Now, that double possibility is really being looked into in the literature. Today, we've really been discussing this very complex quandary that affects so many men worried about cancer of the prostate, may have a family member who has had cancer of the prostate, and where does he go and what does he do about it? I want to thank Dr. Stuart Jessman for being our guest, and we've been discussing his very thought-provoking book, Do No Harm, How a Magic Bullet for Prostate Cancer Became a Medical Quandary. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. To listen to our on-demand library, visit us at ReachMD.com. If you have comments or questions, call us at 888-MD-XM-157. Thank you for listening.